Locker Room Episode 49. Yes, this podcast still exists. It occasionally pops up, and for some reason it's all about soccer these days because Martin Bauman is is chilling with the hobbits somewhere down under in Oceana, as they call it. My name is Christian O'Mell. Joining us once again over Skype is Mr. Ryan Brandt from Saskatoon. How are you doing today, Mr. Ryan Brandt? It is a balmy minus 17 for the second day in a row. Oh. Um, no snow. We kind of skipped it. Like I know I guess in Winnipeg they are getting pelted with snow. Saskatoon went from being 7 degrees to minus 20 in the span of two days. So we skipped the snow. So it's still green grass, but it is freezing here. So we got the snow. We got a lot of it. I think it's done. We're recording this in the afternoon on Wednesday, December 7th. It has stopped, I think. Some of the roads are still a total mess. Some of the side streets are. They need to plow those. But uh, we got the snow. I think we're doing reverse order of you. It's about to get really cold for a while, like down to the you know, minus 18, minus 23 range starting Friday and pretty much not ending for a while. So It's a catch that comes with living in the prairies. Is it, Do you want it to be freezing or do you want it to snow? And I had a friend uh, visiting, and he goes, oh, it's going to be sunny today. And I was like, sunny's bad here. Sunny means cold. Yeah, we haven't seen the sun in a while, but it's starting to it's starting to peak out now, which means you know it's going to bring cold temperatures. Now, speaking of cold temperatures, uh, the MLS Cup is being played Saturday night in Toronto, and it's going to come close to being one of the coldest MLS Cups ever. So the coldest on record, I believe, was Kansas City a few years ago, and it was minus four. That's mm. supposed to be what it's going to be at kickoff Saturday night. I mean, you know what you're going to get when it's a December soccer game in Canada, right? Right. It's a funny throwback to when I was kind of, and I had some people, because a lot of people are joining in on this bandwagon, and that's fantastic to see, you know, mainstream Canadians watching Major League Soccer in the Montreal that Montreal Toronto game is probably the best game I think I tweeted that too the best game for any non-soccer fan to try to get interested in soccer because that was just bananas it was crazy I agree I mean for me I didn't have a horse in the race I think I wanted Montreal to win at first just because I was swayed by the home crowd in Montreal when it was three love but then or three nil I guess I should say as soccer people say and then the Toronto one I started to realize it would be really cool if the MLS Cup was in Canada. So let's have Toronto win it, sure. Because if Montreal won, it would have been in Seattle. Right. So to have Toronto win it and the way they want it, just back and forth they go, and then it goes to extra time, and Toronto comes out ahead, and the, it's just pouring the whole time. Just incredible environment there in Toronto. And on, I want to say... On both Montreal goals, I, I said, there it is, that's it. Like, you little, in a normal soccer game, that would have been it. It would have been over. But it was not a normal soccer game. And when Shea Roo came on as a sub for Giovinco, you kind of thought, nah, this isn't going to be too good. We and may then he scored, like, right out. away. Yeah. Like, Shea was a quality player. He used to play for Marseille in the top French division. But uh, I believe it was Marseille anyway. He was on but, the Fran- France team at the Euro, was he not? The name rings a bell. Not at the recent ones. No? He's okay. uh, he's an older fellow. Okay. And he played a feature a lot more last year. But this year with guys just playing well, Bradley hasn't been missing a lot. Doesn't have any injuries, so he hasn't played a whole whack. He's still a good player, just a bit, little slower, part of that older generation. But yeah, when he scored, he kind of—I I thought when he came on, they would just hunker down, get to the shootout, and then who would score? But defensive midfield specialist Benoit Shearer with a beautiful header. It was like, it was great. And then Rickett scored a few minutes later, and my friend, who's I guess a quasi Toronto FC fan, he's from Toronto. He kind of cheers for them. Uh, earlier in the game, Ricketts, I guess, screwed up. 
on a, a chance and he called him terrible. And then I'm like, do you think he's bad now? And he's like, Tosse Ricketts is an interesting man who I've met a few times, uh, Edmonton, Alberta native, and probably one of the fastest soccer players in the world. And it kind of, for anyone listening, you can probably remember that kid you played soccer with, probably in house league, who was not better than everyone else, but he was so much faster that he ended up getting like seven breakaways a game, but would only end up scoring one goal. That's Tosse Ricketts. That's just the way he plays. He's just speed, lacks some touch. He gets a lot of criticism from Canadian national team fans because he's just not technically gifted but what he can do is he comes on late in a game when the other team's tired and he's so fast and it, it's an effective thing and it's been fantastic to see Greg, Greg Vanny using him in that scenario and not starting him just because he's scoring goals watching that game how badly did you want to be there oh BMO Field is it's the start it's probably what made Major League Soccer become a serious entity for other sport like other cities because of when Toronto came in, the fan atmosphere has been fantastic, and that has just continued even as the stadium is getting bigger. And uh, case in point, three minutes in three minutes, MLS Cup sold out in Toronto in seats that were put in place for the Grey Cup, which was quote unquote capacity. Yeah, I don't think they sold that out. They did not. No, no. You won't be getting a pizza and wings for twenty nine bucks and two MLS Cup tickets. No, I will say the Grey Cup was phenomenal. Great, great cup. It was a fantastic game. And then four days later, a game that almost matched it in terms of the quality, the craziness, also went to extra time, overtime, whatever. And I thought people there, if, if people got to do the double dip, my God, you couldn't be more spoiled. Yeah, well, if anyone got to go to both, but props to you because you got to see some great stuff. And uh, two older statesmen that were getting the jobs done. You got Patrice Bernier, Montreal Impact, just showing at 36, 37 years old. He's probably going to be back next year. And Henry Burris doing the job for the Ottawa Red Blacks. So, yeah, it was a great uh, great week for Toronto and definitely no big event fatigue for that city as they continue to just sell out games. So looking ahead to the MLS Cup, Saturday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, uh, I, I'm curious to see what the TV numbers might be like for this, just because it's going up right up against Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, yeah, that's an it's it's too bad. I mean, Sunday night probably would have also it just Sunday would have been worse for American football, sports right? Yeah, right. Yeah, they kind of go, do you want to lose, you know, three million Canadians or for you know, Fox? For Fox, Americans. yeah, it's great Saturday because <laughs> college football is done, so they've got Saturday to themselves stateside. However, in yeah, in Canada where you know, uh, 10% of the population might watch something like this, and that's 3 million, but I don't know uh, who the least would be playing that would... And I don't know if you're going to draw the the guy like you in Saskatchewan or me in Winnipeg watch, to watch this thing, and because uh, there is resentment towards Toronto pro teams no matter what league they're in. Yeah, for sure. And I think that... I mean, the one thing I would challenge people on is do you really need to give up... See, is it, is it that tough to see only 81 of 82 Maple Leafs regular season games if you're going to get to see a Toronto sports team win a North American trophy? Obviously, uh, the, the Argonauts have won a couple great cups in the last few years. And, but we've seen Argonauts games. There's not a big draw there. Uh, no, and that is because the average Argonauts fan is my mid-50s father who doesn't like to go to the games because the TV numbers do great for Argos still. They're still around with most of the other CFL teams. It's the people that show up because it's not the people that go to those games. The real fans don't really go to Argos games, which is a weird thing to think of in sports. You think a true fan would want to be at the game, but 
But you've spent so many times going to that quiet and half-empty Rogers Center. I guess you'd probably rather just watch it on TSN. Toronto Maple Leafs Saturday night, by the way, in Boston. So um, rivalry game there. So I maybe do you get the flip ticker going back and forth, back and forth. Picture in picture or something maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe do that. So you're a soccer guy. You know the MLS. Who's the favorite? Seattle. Like no one knows anything about Seattle. That's just jumping on this bandwagon now. Are, is Seattle right. good? Who is? What is Seattle? Tell us more. Seattle is. Ever since they came into the league, they've been the bar that every other MLS team has wanted to match. And they started kind of. Toronto FC's tried it, not really successful. But Seattle started the, the thought of instead of getting these thirty-four-year-old English guys who are just trying to get a big payout in North America to to build their team around. Seattle, when they entered the league, they got a guy named Freddie Montero. who's was from Colombia. No one had heard of him. And I'm pretty sure he won the scoring race that season. He went straight to, to uh, sporting in Portugal. So he's playing in top-tier leagues in Europe now. And this is a guy they just picked up some young guys in Central America, or South America, rather, and built their team around them. And they're going to do that again with this team. Their star player is this guy named Nicholas Lodera, who... No one's heard of because he hasn't played for West Ham or Barca United, any of those teams. He's from Uruguay, and he comes in, and they found him. They scout him, and they get him in North America, and he's been dominating. And he's a bit of a playmaker, similar to Sebastian Giovinco, but maybe not that same game-breaking things that the guy we, we sometimes affectionately call Joey Vink can get done on the field. Clint Dempsey played there too, right? Clint Dempsey did. Uh, I think... I can't remember his first name, a Keller. He was a goalie in uh, in the Premier League. He came through uh, there as well. And uh, they have one guy who's been there for a long time, almost since the start, is Valdo Alonso, who's a defensive midfielder and has been one of the best central midfielders in Major League Soccer for years. He is still there. And they also have this guy named Chad Marshall, who's been one of the best defenders in the league. But these are all role guys that you don't hear about because they haven't had big, illustrious European careers or and. They don't see them a lot, but these are players that can really get the job done. And, of course, in goal, they also have former Toronto FC goalkeeper Stefan Fry. So Seattle Sounders are the four seed in the Western Conference. Toronto FC, the three seed in the Eastern Conference. Who is the favorite in this game? I think it's slightly Toronto, but it's it's very, very, very slight. It's just the fact that Toronto has guys with that game-breaking things that they can do like Josie Altador's goal to flashback to the game it's just those goals that only real high-end players can get where he's able to put himself in a position where the ball just has to take it just skims off his forehead and it, and it finds its way into the net on a weird angle and it just kind of goes back to those kind of elite players that Toronto has and obviously like I said Seattle has a few of those like Lodero and the the center back pairing Chad Marshall and uh, Roman Torres who I believe is from Panama two very strong central defenders who are going to have some problem dealing with Altador, and then you also have you have to wonder where Giovinco sets up and how how his legs are feeling. He went off early with his calf, uh, not feeling too hot last uh, game there against Montreal. Uh, so through each team's played five games in the playoffs. Seattle has scored eight goals in those five games. Toronto has scored seventeen. <laughs> yep. In five. I mean, games. New York one kind of turns that one a bit crazy. Well, they scored five goals in two different games. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the New York one was just a rollover. That was such a strange game. But, yeah, I, I, I'm excited to watch soccer. My dad's coming out to Winnipeg this weekend. He's like, what's on TV Saturday night we can watch? I'm like, MLS Cup. And he's like, I can't get into that. But we're going to watch it. I'm going to force him to watch it because I want to watch it. So Now, is this because I know you like to sometimes get your sports in in a solo fashion? Are you going to keep it at home on the computer? Or are you going out to 
one of Winnipeg's surprisingly fantastic sports bars. Um, I don't know. We'll see what we we're up to. I, I know it's uh, he's he's staying at the Fort Gary downtown, so Ooh. there's lots of spots in the near vicinity we can go Illegally to. Legally parked there a few times to cover news events. Oh, look at you go admitting yeah. things after you leave. That's fine. Yeah, uh, I can admit it now. This just in, by the way, uh, former NHL tough guy John Scott has announced his retirement on the Players' Tribune. Ooh. So uh, you all remember him from last year, the whole All-Star game uh, storyline about how the NHL didn't want him to get in, but the fans just like, hey, we get to vote. We're going to vote in John Scott as a joke. But then he actually scored and was the MVP of the All-Star game, and it turned into this awesome feel-good story that the NHL barely came out in the positive PR end of. Um, but now he's done. He's he's called yeah. it quits after 10 seasons. He played with uh, a lot of teams. Minnesota, Chicago, Rangers, Buffalo, San Jose, Arizona, and then Montreal at the very end. I believe he did win a cup with Chicago, right? I think. He was a defenseman at the time. I'm going to have to. Uh, there's another guy with the last name Scott maybe you've confused with. I don't think he, I'm not sure he ever won a cup. Uh, I know that's... he played a lot in Buffalo. But that, I mean, he's always going to be known for what happened last year for sure. Yeah, uh, I remember when it happened, and you know, like I, I think it's kind of funny. These things happen a lot in, in Europe. I remember there's former. This is a, this is a soccer carryover. A guy named Ronnie O'Brien. Uh, he won the Young Player of the Year for Juventus back in the late '90s, I believe, early 2000s. Had never played a game for them. He was a youth player from Ireland, and a bunch of Irish people got on their computers and just voted, and then he won. And I, I don't know if they ever gave him the award, but. It was kind of one of the first times that probably would have happened. And the John Scott one's one was interesting to me just because I thought there's many other enforcers I probably would have put before him. And that's also because I witnessed him try to attack Phil Kessel. I remember so that. Didn't, my my, my didn't, bias uh, might be a bit. Kessel gave him a good two-hander to the back of the legs? Yeah, but, Kessel tried to chop. I, I think it was kind of funny that because how big Scott is, that it literally looked like Kessel was trying to chop him down like he was some sort of tree man. Yeah, 6'8", 260. All right, let's play stats game. 286 career games played. Can you name how many goals and assists he had in 286 games? I think in both categories, it's less than 10. That is so correct. So say no more than 15 points. So I'm going to go six goals and uh, seven assists. Very close. Five goals, six assists, 11 oh. points, a minus 19, 544 penalty minutes <laughs> in 286 games. With 108 shots on goal in his career, 108. That, that's it, eh? So yeah, he did not win a cup. He was with uh, Minnesota during the year Chicago won their first cup. He did play for Chicago for two years. Um, did not win a cup in those seasons. Then went to the Rangers, Buffalo, Buffalo, San Jose, Arizona. Played only one game in a Montreal uniform. Was a minus one with two penalty minutes. Oh, good for him. So well, I guess. He just doesn't like. He must be a. He was probably a university grad. The the surprising thing with most of these enforcers, you find out that they went to Harvard or well, like Prince George Perry. Peros, right? He's with the NHL safety now. He's a very bright guy, right? Um, Kevin Westgarth, Stanley Cup champ, LA Kings guy, was a Harvard grad, I believe, and was the Kings. He would always be his team. I think it was the Kings, his representative at any of those kind of important meetings. Again, like on the NHLPA, he was the player representative because he's a Harvard grad and a smart guy who at one point decided if I can beat some guys up, I might make it to the NHL. And then there's the guys like Sean Avery who are not uh, Harvard grads. No. And uh, give the goons a bad name, but yeah. 
Anyway, so that's that. Um, little hockey talk before we go. Your Leafs, how are you feeling about them? I feel entertained. The goaltending situation is something I didn't think I'd have to be pondering about, and I never thought the possibility of Kari Ramo. Isn't Anderson won. good, though? I like Anderson. I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. He got a rough ride at the start, but could you imagine going from the Mighty Ducks, or sorry, the Anaheim Ducks, who are just known for running defensive systems and having good point men, and you go to the Leafs, where your top three defensemen are all offensive-minded, and other than Roman Polak, none of them can really move someone from out in front of the net. I think, I, and yeah, Anderson had a rough start to the season. I feel like he's been a lot better. The last five games, he's given up uh, two goals in all of them. So yeah. That's, you know, give up two goals a game for the Leafs scoring. They score a decent amount of goals, so that's that's pretty good. Especially and when you still, consider... They're they, still fun to watch, and they, obviously, I guess, uh, to maybe throw this one at you... I still think Austin, Austin Matthews is an effective player, and I think it, he will eventually be the the better pick over Patrick Laine. But boy, another one last night for yep. Laine. Yep. Yeah, it was not a clean goal. It, I, I, at first, it looked like Mrazek just blew it, but on the replay, you could see it deflected off two different Red Wings. A game the, the Jets should have won. They were up 3 1 after one, and then just kind of slipped into a coma the rest of the way. But yeah, Line's got uh, as of this recording 17 tied with Crosby. I think he's got 5 in his last 4 games and he's passing the he's looking to pass I feel a lot more now uh than he did originally in the season. He was shooting a lot more then it seemed. But he's been great. I don't think that there's oh buyer's remorse for the Leafs. I think that's oh, no. nonsense because we're we're 25 26 27 games into this season and Austin Matthews is playing on a worse team. Yeah, right. and obviously it's not to the same extent, but it is almost a Crosby-Ovechkin scenario where Ovechkin takes the Calder because he's already the player he's going to be now. Like, I don't, like, I think if Line gets, you know, 35 goals this season, like, that's where he's going to be his entire career, between 30 and 45 goals every year, whereas Matthews, we may, we may see more of a progression kind of similar to Crosby where he's eventually able to dominate games. And that's kind of where I well, think it might go. What Lineik does with his release just blows your mind because like oh, yeah. wrist shots from how far out he is don't go in with other players. No, and I, I think at least half of his goals have been one timers from the left point on the power play. That's yeah, it. I remember seeing a chart. I can't remember who posted it, and it was comparing where Crosby's goals have came from compared to Lineik's. And Crosby's are all from inside the like the very very low slot. And Lineage were it was like a spray of paint. It was all over the place. He just he shoots, he takes those chances. And for a guy that young to have that much confidence in himself is pretty fantastic. He's also ruined my confidence on name pronunciations because I was listening to a show from the NHL network and they're playing a clip where he called himself Patrick Line. And I went, What is your name? Just just come on. Just has he put that to bed with the media in Winnipeg? Or like am I just going crazy? Or what is that? Uh well, I remember hearing a story from Doc Emmerich back in the day about how Timu Solani, back in home, he, he was Selani, right? He was Timu Selani. But the media over here, everyone started calling him Solani, 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 whatever. And then he just lived with it and he went with it. Yeah. And he kind of embraced it. Yeah. So I feel like that's probably the same story with Line A. And that's just another comparison between Line A and Solani <laughs> that they're going to get. I mean, Comparisons are inevitable. They're both finished. They're both coming to the Jets. They're both scoring a ton of goals. So obviously the comparisons are going to be there. Uh, but it, now a name thing too, I guess. Line is a big body, 
and he looks pretty imposing on the ice, and then he takes off his bucket, and he is the goofiest-looking kid, yeah. and I, you just you can't help but love this guy when he's playing this year. And he's got a terrible mustache, too. Oh, but, has he got one of those going oh, right yeah. now? He's got a blonde one, right? So you can, can't really see it on TV, but when you're interviewing him after the game and you're two feet from his face, <laughs> yeah, it's it's dirty. But he's something, yeah, you know? He seems so aloof when you're talking to him, but that's just, you know, he's just so laid back. Uh, yeah, and I, I think uh, the cool thing watching just scrums and not being a part of them there now is that he is he, he's honest. Like he like whatever you're oh, asking yeah. him, he's not he's just saying candid. get pucks deep. He's like, I want shoot, I shoot puck, we score. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It feels good, you know. It felt good to score. I yeah, like, I like help team win. Now that's not a bad. That's a very bad finish impression. But the point is, I don't know if it's so much a language barrier. Maybe he just is honest, and that's that's how it goes. But yeah, people here. Absolutely love Patrick Line. They're loving this uh, the the potential of this Jets. They're very inconsistent. Uh, their goaltending has been hit or miss. Connor Hellebuck not very good last night. He goes through stretches of being amazing and then very ordinary. Yeah, try having him in fantasy. Uh, no, that's not a no. Why? Why do you have him in fantasy? Because <laughs> when I don't start him, he wins four straight, and then I put him in, and he gets lit up. You know that. He's he's going to be a fantastic goaltender. He, like the Jets are definitely Jets safe so. in their goaltending <laughs> department, even once they finally find a home for Andre Pavlik, because Eric Comrie is potentially true. better than Hellebuck. That's we don't true. know yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know Hutchinson is is destined to be a backup. He's oh for sure. He's he's a placeholder until Comrie's ready to make the jump Absolutely. up to the pros. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, it's just one this, of those things where you're like, Jets, don't blow it, please. You I got know. The, like you got lucky with the second overall pick. You've got a talented team. You need a goalie to win, right? As simple as that. You can't win in the NHL without a good goaltender. Like, when was the last time you look and say a team won a cup with a questionable goaltender? Maybe Antti Niemi in 2010, right? And that was a weird cup final because Philadelphia's goaltending situation that year was even more of a train wreck. Philadelphia's goaltending. I, I guess this week, in the last couple of weeks, Steve Mason's finally starting to establish himself again. He was, he's a good goalie. He had lots of he's potential. He's been up and down player. his whole career, right? He had such a good season with Columbus like four years ago. Right. And then just fell off a cliff for a while. He, and then, you know, even last year he had stretches, but he was the first star of the week last week. Right. And like this, and yeah, Philadelphia's goaltending has been a revolving door. And Since Ron Hextall. go. <laughs> it's been revolving for 30 years. Forever. Yeah, back Bernie Perrant, he might come back. Maybe we'll look, sign him. Right, the year they went to the cup, it was Bobrovsky, Michael Layton, and Brian Boucher, and they somehow were two wins from winning a cup. It's astounding yeah. that year. I mean, every every season, and Ray Emery came, came through, and yeah. uh, Mr. Universe, Ilya Brusgalov, who apparently still lives in Philadelphia. Oh, I think, I, or was it Anaheim? Do you see the tweet? He was just like at a game. Oh and just, no. He looked like he was Ilya Bruskalov again. What a phenomenon he was, eh? Like, super good in Anaheim, and then Phoenix, he goes to Philly and just becomes this enigma. What is that with the Ducks, right? Like, how many goalies have been solid for them? They move, and it just doesn't... Bruskalov, Jonas Hiller... How's that? Uh, well, Frederick, An- Frederick Anderson <laughs> is... It, that's the latest. That's right? the latest, yeah. Martin Gerber. Wow. Sometimes, yeah, I guess I don't know if it's just goalies get over-evaluated if they have a good season. That's hard for me to say as a goaltender. But Andrew Raycroft is the one that always kind of sticks out to me. Or Mr. World Junior Justin Pogge, who was on a dominant Canadian team, doesn't give up any goals because he's just a big body. And 
he was considered so good apparently yeah, but that if you look it was at, worth trading to Karras. If you look at the last decade of World Juniors, and we're getting close to the juniors, they're only two weeks away. But if you look at the history of goaltenders the last ten years and where they are now, how many of them are starring in the NHL that have played for Canada? The Not list very isn't very long. Right? It's it goes pretty... back to like how these goalies are developed, and a lot of it is because of what the major junior teams decide to do, that winning is more important than developing goaltenders. Think of how many London Knights teams, and the goalies are either anonymous or Americans getting drafted. Anthony Stolarz now... Just, uh, just uh, gone into, into the... Just drafted, yeah. yeah uh, I mean... Oscar Dansk of the Erie Otters coming over from Sweden. Because, it, I mean, I, I can understand that if you're trying to run a competitive junior hockey thing, you can't really... Get like you can't bring a 17 year old goalie in for seasoning, like you need guys that are ready. So, what ends up happening is you don't see any of these goalies starting in, in the major junior leagues till they're 19, 20 years old. So, it's tough to build a world junior team when you've only got a few of these guys that have been uh, been able to play. And part of the growing population in the NHL of players that aren't from Canada that reflects in the goaltending ranks as well, where we're seeing a lot of the good goalies either being from the states or from overseas. Yeah, and it used to be almost an anomaly when the American team would have four or five major junior players, and now it's you know almost half the team. And even Sweden, um, here in Saskatoon, Libor Hayek is going to play for the Czech Republic. They have a Russian defenseman on the blades, and you didn't see that even five years ago, probably. But now these players are, you know, they see major junior as the best way to get noticed by NHL scouts, and they make the jump over here, and that comes at the cost of the younger. Canadian players who are getting bumped out by a 19-year-old, 20-year-old European who's ready to play and is probably the better player, but you don't get as much of an opportunity anymore. If you look at the seven Canadian teams, how many of them are goaltended by, or have Canadian goaltenders starting? It's two. Mm -hmm. Actually, sorry, three. Cam Talbot in Edmonton. Chad Chad Johnson is, I think, taking over the Calgary job. Oh boy, he is. He's from Calgary. And then Carey Price. Right, yeah. Frederick Anderson. He's Cam Ward in Carolina too, and then, I, I think consider it, but Eddie Lack's kind of there as well. I, I just mean Canadian teams, but oh, Canadian teams, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So you know, Ryan Miller is the yeah. guy, or even Markstrom, right in Vancouver. Hellebuck's American. Uh, Craig Anderson's American in Ottawa. What a story that's been this year. Yeah, um, everything he's dealing with his wife, and he's still putting up really good numbers. Um, that. That uh, the game when he came back and had the big, uh, did he have a shutout and he was crying after the game? Just yeah. that was crazy to watch. Tough stuff, yeah. Uh, so we're at the quarter. No, we're past the quarter point. We're almost at the third point, third way point, which is not a sentence that is proper English. <laughs> um, and uh, Dallas is out of the playoffs. Toronto's out of the playoffs. One of those was expected. The other one is Dallas. Um, their goaltending is terrible, and that's no surprise. Tyler Sagan putting up big numbers, but it might not matter. Is this a point where if you're out of it, and then I'll let you go, if you're out of it now, is this panic time, or do you still kind of a wait and see? Because Dallas, I think, has won back-to-back games once this year. I think they're 1-6-3 and three after a win this season. Yeah, today, this season's been a lot more unpredictable than others just based on the fact of how many star players have gone down early. Goudreau just comes back. Stamkos is out. And these are things that usually in January start to happen that have happened in October, November. So, yeah, it is kind of an unpredictable thing. And 
you think of Dallas, like Dallas has a team that should be playoff caliber every single season right now, and it is coming down to just stopping a couple of extra pucks would probably help them out. And if you look at the standings, there's just a lot of mediocrity, I think. You've, you've got the Jets right now at 13-13-3 are currently in third in the Central. They're at 29. Stars are in sixth, three points back. You know, yeah. Oilers have 32 atop the Pacific. Kings are four points back, but they're in fifth, right? There's just so many teams jumbled up. There's only, I'd say, Chicago, Montreal, and Pittsburgh, New York Rangers are the only teams I feel are separating themselves even a little bit, right? Columbus off to a great start. I don't know how much I buy that. but Yeah, the, but the, Sam Gagne has really surprised everybody this year too. You just look at those teams, and after that, who do you trust, right? Not a lot right. of teams. So, I mean, again, it's December. Too early to panic if your team's – there's only, I'd say, maybe if unless you're Arizona, Colorado, then you're probably done. And there are teams like the Islanders and Leafs and Sabres. You don't probably figure you're going to make the playoffs, but – um, I think this has been an interesting season because there is really no one team that you'd say, damn, they're running away with this thing, and that makes things more interesting. I think that's kind of why it's perfect time for Las Vegas to hop into the game because of how competitive this league is right now and how close these teams are. And it also kind of maybe also goes back on something that's been a bit of a hot debate the last couple of weeks, something that as I do a terrible plug I'll be discussing on my show this weekend oh. is uh, – is it time to get rid of the loser point because oh. of how tight the races are at this point in the season? Whereas if you really think about some of these losses, the teams are getting maybe six, seven, eight points that they don't deserve because if you ask anyone in probably in the Americas or the United States, because I'm a fantastic speaker, they would say, you get a point for losing? No, you lose. You lose. Go home. You lost. I don't know. I, I kind of think I'm- maybe it is time to get rid of the... We lost in a shootout, but it's okay because we still got a point. I'll give you my hot take because I'm not a part of your show. Um, at least this weekend. You might tie me for some Jets coverage once in a while. But yeah, we'll see if Lina keeps scoring and yeah. uh, bring you around. Yeah. Um, I think it's incredibly stupid that there's a third point. They kept it because there was always the option, you know, the single point for a tie. But that's the only sport, hockey, that rewards losing right every other team sport in north america you can look at the standings it's win loss there are no points it's just win percentage and yeah i get that you can say it's easier to think of oh they're five points back than oh they're three and a half games back the whole games back thing can be confusing but the fact that some games are worth two points and some are worth three just doesn't make sense it it must blow someone like an outsider who's trying to get involved, and maybe they're, they're kind of one of those analytic sides of things, and they're going, wait, so like if you win, like there's th- how does it go from being two points are available at the start of the game to three points later on so in the game? And proposal- maybe the other thing you could do is just make, make a, like a regulation win worth three points so you right. can at least pretend that there's three points available. So you, but it's weird, yeah, to add an extra point. You do it like they do in international, where three points for a win, two points for a win in extra time, one point for an extra time loss, and then nothing for a regulation loss. I think that's yeah. just, you're going to inflate things too much, though. I, I, I mean, it's all relative, whatever. If you have more points because they're worth three now, historically, it might change things. Who cares? 
historically. Yeah. Oh, they had the most points ever. Did they win more games? Let's just look at wins. Winning is all that matters. Let's just look at wins, right? The historical things are funny. It's funny you mentioned that because this is going to another hot take, which I don't think I'll be doing this week. But uh, the hockey's obsession with retiring numbers is something that I, I hadn't really thought about when I was younger. And now I'm kind of like, like you have, like, and because I'm a bit of a soccer guy as well, Pele wore the number 10. All the best soccer players in the world have worn the number 10. But could you imagine if they took the number 10 away from players? Like, I get the Gretzky one or like Jackie Robinson in baseball, but like, when you go through teams like the Detroit Red Wings, Montreal Canadiens, Toronto, Toronto Maple Leafs, just like mass retired. How many numbers? The numbers you have, like James Van Riems, like this year had it, couldn't wear 21 anymore because Borgia Salming wore it. But like, I remember when Shane Corson wore 27, it was cool because they'd show videos of Frank Mahovlich and you could kind of, you remember him that way rather than, oh, players can't wear that number because this guy who played for 13 years when your grandfather watched the Leafs, he was really good. Like, I just, I don't, I, I'm just kind of starting to question that a, a bit more and might be something that uh, we'll have to discuss. I don't mind the idea of retiring numbers. The only problem you get is eventually there's going to be no numbers left. Um, right, I think you have to draw a line before you, yeah, you're retiring the number. Part of 50, the legacy, though, part of the legacy, though, is, you know, you have certain numbers where you know one guy, like there's one guy to that number. Right, 87 is Crosby, 66 yeah. is Mario, 99 is Gretzky, 88 is Lindros. But then you've got nine, and you can list 20 players that have been amazing with the number nine. And, you know, half the franchises have, you know, not necessarily retired these, but you got Medano, you got um, Gordie Howe, you've got so many guys wearing, like, single-digit numbers are, you know, you look at the Leafs, how many single-digit numbers are left to be you worn by wear, the Leafs? You can't wear a lot of them. And like some, like I, I will say that hockey is probably better than any other sport at recognizing its history, and I always enjoy that. And I'm big into like hockey history stuff. But I just, yeah, I think it's kind of it. It, it kind of kills the point when you know. I think the line needs to be drawn somewhere so that you're not retiring. You know, by 2050, we have 20 numbers retired on several teams. Like, what's what's coming next? Two, three, and eight are the only single-digit numbers available to Leafs players at the moment. And it used to be just five. You couldn't wear uh, Bill Barocco's number five. And HBLE's that was a very number, cool respect Yeah, HBLE's six. Six. Uh, and then the rest were just honored. And then they just, like, mass-retired 17 of them or something. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, I, I think it's good to have those guys up in the rafters, and you remember them. But what's wrong with, you know, Austin Matthews wearing number 14? And you're like, oh, Dave Keon, Austin Matthews. Like, this is a very cool. This but is then a- the opposite <laughs> argument is you've got a goon wearing 14. And then it kind of does yep. disrespect, right? Yeah, but I think that kind of comes back to the soccer thing, where it's a huge honor for a player to get to wear the number. Gio Vinco's even talked about when Toronto FC offered him the number 10 shirt. That was part of what because of how instilled it is in that in the identity in soccer, Giovinco went, I get to wear number 10 in Toronto? That's awesome. I've never got to wear 10 on any team I've, I've played on. And you list off all the players that have got to wear that. You can't wear the number 10 shirt if you're the backup goalie or uh, you know some scrub defender. It's uh, one of the best players on your team is going to wear the number 10. And likely your top goal scorer is the only guy who's allowed to wear the number 9 shirt. And I think in hockey, you could kind of, if a 
player was like, oh, I really want to wear 13. And they're like, okay, Colton Orr, uh, you might want to pick a different number because that's was that was Matt's number last. But there is an of. unwritten respect, I think, in hockey, right? Yeah. Hockey is one of those sports where there's so many unwritten rules, and, yeah. and like the brotherhood of the of the game. I know Doug Gilmore offered ninety three to Mitch Marner. I don't know if it was offhand or official, but I remember reading that he said like, if you want to wear ninety three, that that'd be cool. And I I think why not? Like, why can't two good players wear the same number? Right. Uh, I just remember, I think that Phoenix unretired Bobby Hull's nine so that Brett could wear it in his last game, um, which I think, if you look at Winnipeg fans, probably felt like that's a punch in the face. Here's another hot take for you. Um, Phoenix is, you know, when when you have a team that moves, like we saw the Browns go to Baltimore, but then the, the new Browns still have the historical records of the old Browns that are now mm-hmm. the Ravens. Is it time for the Winnipeg Jets 1.0 history, which is the franchise history of the Phoenix Coyotes now, Arizona Coyotes, to give that back to the Jets? I'm surprised that hasn't happened. And one funny one, I remember playing in one of the NHL games, the Jets and the Coyotes, like the Jets were in this game by this time, but you could still wear the throwback Jets jerseys. As Phoenix. As Phoenix, and you're kind of like, you. I would have thought that Phoenix would have offered that because, yeah, they didn't do it. The Jets. I think did at first Winnipeg and wanted you, to. Dis- you know this as well because yeah. you, you cover the Jets now. Every time you get those stat packs before the game for all the media, who's listed as the one of the top goal scorers and point getters in Winnipeg Jets history? Ilya Kovalchuk. Mm-hmm. I know Dustin Bufflin just moved into like sixth all time in the franchise history in points. Or goals yeah. last night. He scored his 100th. And I think that it's time to switch it over. I think yeah. that, and I think at first Winnipeg wanted to distance themselves from the old Jets, like be their own thing. Well, at but one point we realized, didn't know they were going to be called the Jets. Right. Either. They caved into public yeah. pressure. And I think over five years, and we saw this with the Heritage Classic this year, they have embraced more and more their old 1.0 history simply because that's what the people want. Right. Yeah. Could you imagine if they had of went with the the polar bear no. idea, which is kind of the rumored alternative? Yeah, I've, apparently they were really close to calling them something else, and polar yeah. bears was one of them. And I think personally, and I'm not even from here. I know a lot of people. You know, most how many fans of the Jets were fans of the 1.0 Jets? Most of them, right? Unless yeah. you're a kid, you were a fan of the 1.0 Jets. And when you think of Jets history. You don't think of Atlanta in 2002 picking Kari Lutton in second overall. You think of Dale Howarchuk, and you think of Doug Smale, and you think of those epic battles with the Oilers in the 80s, right? right you're inheriting that from your parents as well who are telling you, oh, we, back when we had an NHL team and like the Timu and Ty. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's not Danny Heatley and Ilya Kovalchuk. No. No. Because so. you, you wouldn't have invested yourself in the Thrashers at that time either because you wouldn't know, hey, son, one day – they're going to be bankrupt and move back to Winnipeg. One team, like, this garbage franchise will be ours. That's why, look, Patrick Steffen could be ours. <laughs> oh, Patrick Steffen. I believe he's an agent now, and he's still in North America. Who cares? Patrick All right, so uh, when is your show on, Ryan, If in, in case the three people listening to this podcast want to tune in? I have the fantastic edition of the Rough Rider season is over, so... The standard listenership in this province will probably actually tune in. So Sundays at noon, you can catch Hockey Talk with me, Ryan Brandt, on 650 CKOM in Saskatoon, 980 CJME in Regina. Uh, those are their websites as well. 
and you can hear some. We got the this week Oilers analyst Drew Remenda. He's a bit of a regular guest uh, to talk about some hockey stuff. Blake Price from TSN. He's hosting the radio network coverage for the World Juniors. We'll be talking World Juniors and not yet confirmed, but Brian Bickle looks to be our special guest this oh, Wow. And his story about being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Yeah, something that uh, definitely hits home for people in Saskatchewan after uh, Regina native uh, Josh Harding. Right, and, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Brian Bickle has the th- fact of both of us are from Orno, Ontario, so we have that in common already. Good old icebreaker. <laughs> All right. He's actually shot on me one time, and I was scared completely. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hoopless. I would be. He missed the net. It went by my ear, and I went, oh. Like, I knew he, who it was when he was on the ice, and I was like, oh, that's Brian Bickle. And I changed was, like, my pants. I think with the 67s at the time. Oh, and just, phew, or Rockford, I think it was. And just whizzed it right by my ear. Yeah. Didn't like that. I didn't want him to shoot on me after that. Tristan Field Jones once called him Brian Pickle on air. So Brian uh, Pickle. Yeah. Brian Pickle. Yeah, that's that's good. I remember when uh, he was having his huge year, and the analysts were all talking about it, and I can't remember who it was. They brought up, oh, you know what Orno's famous for? Kirby Burger. So first off, I want to say Kirby Burger has been closed, and it was closed at the time that Bickle had his 20 points in the Stanley Cup playoffs and scored the big goal against Boston in Game 6. Kirby Burger had been closed for almost five years at that point. So don't go to Kirby Burger. Don't listen to whether it was Sportsnet or TSN who said Kirby Burger is what Orno is known for. Go downtown, Village Bake Shop, get an apple fritter. That's what you do. All right. Next time I'm in Orno, Ontario, which will probably be, I don't know, someday. Maybe. On your way to Peterborough. Get off the 401, 115, and you're there. And boom, apple fritter. All right, Ryan, i uh, let you go now. Thanks for stopping by the locker room and uh, – I guess embrace the weather. I don't know. Go TFC. Yeah, go go Toronto. Go the TFC, as it's sometimes incorrectly mentioned. The TFC. The TFC, or the FC, as it was in the early days, because it that's, was apparently a mascot, even though it's in that's football. That's terrible. Okay. All right, go Toronto. Bye. Bye. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all, but oh may not share our intellect, which might explain your disrespect for all the natural wonders that grow around.